This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dafran Johan. On the 31st of August, Malaysia celebrates its 66th year of independence. Now, we have come a long way as a nation since 1957. We have modernised, urbanised and even expanded human rights. However, questions still remain on what it means to be Malaysian, especially given how incredibly polarised we are across racial and religious lines today. So on today's show, I'm going to be reflecting on the nation's past, present and future with Dr. Kwa Kya Sung, human rights activist, former Swaram director and a former DAP MP. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kwa. Thanks, thanks, Dashwood. I want to start from the beginning and get a little bit of an introduction about yourself first. Why did you choose to walk the path of activism and politics? Okay, good question, because I, I grew up as a completely English-educated, you know, quite quite an elitist kind of family at the very beginning, although mm-hmm. like the Chinese uh, proverb says that the, the family fortune never lasts three <laughs> generations, and that's I was a third generation, <laughs> so we're pretty broke by that. But I was always very interested in uh, politics and the news, you know, and social affairs, and I was very, very uh, active in uh, debating society in school, etc., and it was only after I went to uh, further my studies in 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 in, in England, uh, when I first went to London, of course, I I I had worked as a teacher in my old school and earned enough money to 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 buy the ticket. And when I first reached there, I didn't really have enough money to sort of sign up to any course in 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 the UK. So I was a labourer for three years, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, labouring work like a porter, packer, cashier waiter, dishwasher, barista, etc. You know. And it was only when I discovered that I, I could get a, a, a inner London Education Authority grant to go to university that I went to university. And at the university, my, my activism day started because I had been very quite quite active in when I was a labourer, attending uh, anti-Vietnam War uh, demonstrations, etc. So my, my politicization started from there. And at university, of course, I studied... Uh, I, I was a science student... Uh, in, in, in sixth form here, hoping to be a doctor. But then my interest in social science uh, got the better of me and I, I, I registered in social science in the University of Manchester. Right. And my activism started from there, really. Uh, you know, we it was a war, the, the, the Chilean, Chilean democratic movement was on, uh, there were wars all over Africa, Latin America, and the Vietnam War, of course, you know, lasted up to 75. So I was very active in in in, uh, in university in anti-racist and anti-imperialist uh, movements there, and of course in the in the uh, the student uh, movement uh, in 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 UK on based on Malaysian Malaysian students, and that is where the the uh, the whole activist. Uh, kind of life started for me. Did you sort of stumble into it? Because, you know, like you said, you came from, at least in, in origins, you, you came from a, a slightly more well-to-do family. Um, you, you managed to go overseas to pursue your, your higher education. Um, what is it that propelled you? Um, was it purely curiosity, intellectual curiosity, interest um, in social sciences and all that propelled your journey in activism? Or was there something else that made you go, okay, I need to get involved. It, it needs to happen. Although I had a quite a 
well-off uh, family background, uh, there were certain, uh, the, the May, May 13 riots was quite a traumatic experience for all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it shook, I think it shook the, uh, the the roots of all Malaysians at the time, I mean, especially the non-Malays, it was, it was quite a traumatic affair. And then, uh, like I said, uh, the, the family fortune fell apart uh, when we were growing up and we getting getting school fees was quite a problem. And, mm-hmm. and so after I decided to go go to London to seek my fortune, and became a laborer, etc. That that put me for the first time uh, into contact with workers, ordinary workers in in in, in London, and uh, to understand what the the life of a of a working class person was is, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, actively, I was a, I was a worker in in in, in I was more like a migrant worker, really, in 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 London. And so I because my parents couldn't send me any money, they didn't have any money, and. Uh, and that is the, the 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 activism started from there, you know. Right. Being involved with the, my f- fellow workers in the anti-Vietnam War and anti later on and the anti the, the Irish War as well. You are one of the the founding members of Swaram. You know what was happening at Malaysia at that time um, that made you and your and your comrades say, "Okay, we need to start Swaram. Um, we need to push for the abolition of the ISA." Talk to me about that period in Malaysian history. As a, as a student activist, I'd always been I always been familiar with the the ISA and the the, the terror of the ISA because we we're always fighting for the release of uh, Malaysians like Syed Hussein Ali, Singaporeans like uh, Lim Hock Siu and Cha Tai Po, etc. And coming back here, uh, I was also I became a, a a human rights defender. And although we knew about the ISA, we campaigned against the ISA. We, no, none of us actually sort of experienced the ISA except for the old, the old, uh, uh, you know, people in, in Malaysia. So when I actually got detained, arrested, and detained under Operation Lalang in 1987, there was quite a, a rude shock uh, to people like me and, and others like me. And uh, after having gone through 44, four and 45 days of, uh, of detention, uh, and 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 I had, I had I had two little kids, you know, at the time. It was a, it was a, a shocking uh, attack on my freedom for so long, you know, and missing out um, that 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 growing up life of my children. So after that, we all decided that we were going to form a, a human rights organization it's called SORAM. And at the very first uh, very first object was to fight for the uh, the abolition of the ISA. And later on, we went we we expanded it to fighting for all all kinds of human rights in Malaysia. We're celebrating uh, our 66th year of independence on Thursday. What does Merdeka mean to you? Merdeka, uh, as in all countries in the, in the third world, you know, the colonized world, you know, Merdeka means freedom, freedom from colonialism. You know, Malaysia is one of the, like many other African Latin American countries, we were colonized by the Brits. And uh, Merdeka means uh, it, in, in some countries like Indonesia, even compared to Malaysia, it was a very, it was a very uh, emotional thing because people fought, people fought and lost lives fighting for their independence. In Malaysia, it was the, it was the, the, the anti-imperialist movement in this country, the anti-colonial movement in this country, the left-wing movement in this country that, that suffered most of the, of the fatalities and, and the, uh, the, the tensions, etc. So when it comes to Merdeka, it is actually a big emotional relief 
that we have thrown off the yoke of colonialism. But actually in Malaysia, we, it was handed to us on a platter because our, our, our uh, leaders at the time went to London to ask, call for independence. It was, it was, it was accepted straight away. <laughs> and so uh, after Merdeka, we had what was, what was, more clo- was closer to a neo-colonial movement because uh, even at that time, we find that the British forces were still in command in, in, in Malaysia because the emergency was still going on, you know. Uh, emergency actually ended only in 1960, and and although the it ended in 1960, the the whole machinery of the detention without trial, including the ISA, which was implemented only in 1960 onwards, after we became an independent nation, after the emergency was supposed to have been officially ended, we had the ISA, and I don't know many many Malaysians may not know this, but since the institution of the ISA in 1960 up to today. More than 10,000 people have been de- arrested and detained without trial. And there's a shocking number. Uh, you know, when we were detained in 1987, there was like uh, 100, uh, 106 of us. That's a small number compared to the 10,000 that have been uh, arrested and detained since 1960. So at Independence, at Madeka, there wasn't that kind of, you know, we have found freedom, we've thrown up the colonial yoke. We're going to decide our our economy and our politics uh, by ourselves, you know, without the without the Brits being here. But in fact, when the Brits were here until quite quite a quite a few years after independence, and we were still in the military defense uh, agreement with the UK, Australia, New Zealand, uh, you know, and Singapore. As a leftist, how do you contemplate on our nation's direction? Um, over the past six decades, what are the key things that we did right? And what would you say are some of the major things we did wrong? I don't know. A lot of people talk about what was right by looking at, uh, uh, say, the, 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 uh, the formation of a middle class in this country, and, and, and that's supposed to be right. Uh, but at the same time, there, there is a very great disparity in wealth in this country, you know, uh, and... and uh, Poverty hasn't really been been uh, taken out. You know, we still have quite a big substantial portion of the poor. But the decisive, a very uh, important development, uh, we were told that it was almost like a, a natural existing thing that when you have three different races, they they sort of must uh, conflict. You know, this is what in, in, in social science, uh, in uh, pluralist theories, the same thing. You know, because you have Chinese and Chinese and Indians and Malays, they can't get together and they will fight. And the May 13 through the years was presented like that. And they said it was because of the 1969 general elections uh, that there was, you know, racial riot, etc. But my uh, research at the Kew Gardens from the, uh, the, the the declassification of the of the of the documents in in in, in the National Archives in Britain showed that uh, it was actually an orchestrated. Uh, Thing. To me, my, my analysis was it was arising because Malaya, Malaya at the time of independence had quite a big civil service. So the bureaucracy was quite strong. The, uh, the bureaucratic class was quite strong, quite big. And they were impatient with the Tunku, who, who belonged to the more aristocratic class. And so this uh, resulted in the, the growth of this state capitalist class. And if you look at it, after 1969, after May 30, we had the new economic policy in 1971. The tra- trajectory of our country's independent uh, history from then on was completely different from uh, what was before that. And what has happened today 
with the with the with the growth of the 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 uh, the private Malay capitalist class. At the same time, they 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 were in they were in, they were in, in, in unison with the the Chinese. Uh, capitalist class and the Indian capitalist class as well, to a, to a lesser extent. And then another big event that happened was the coming on st stage of Mahate in 1981, who went on his, his privatization drive, you know, in comparison with Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan in, in America. Right. He, uh, he, he privatized many of our, our very national assets, you know, like telecoms, uh, Danaga, etc., and uh, this privatization what actually led to uh, the, the growth of what we know as crony capitalism, the kind of crony capitalism that has led to all these scandals that we saw throughout the 70s, the 80s, 90s, even 1MDB, I know, is accumulation of all that crony capitalism and lack of transparency, etc., and, uh, and lack of accountability. And, and, and that is what that, that is, that is what is, you know, ended up in what we have today. So it is not a, a, a smooth, uh, natural development since Madeka. There were these root shocks and then uh, a very big jump when Mahate came in to his privatization. You brought up May 13 a couple of times um, already, and you have written a fantastic book called May 13, Declassified Documents on the Malaysian Riots of 1969. Today, how do you reflect on it? And do you think we have, as a, as a nation, moved on from the darkness of May 13? Or does the dark cloud still hover over us? All through those years of May 13, the, the, they call it the spectre, they call it the spectre of right. May 13, has always hung over the, the air in Malaysia. And even when I was in, I was when, in the general elections in 1990, you'd be I don't know if you were born then, but, uh, but in 1990, the the television and the newspapers were were saturated with with um, media images and threats of May 13. If the opposition won, you know, opposition at the time was uh, was uh, Tunku Razali's uh, 46 spirit spirit of 46, and and uh, all the opposition was together. Right, pass was together with 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 the opposition, and so all these threats of May 13 was there. And even after 1990, you just study those general elections. Every time the, there's a threat of an opposition win, the, the media will be full of uh, the specter of May 13. So it's never gone away. Look at what happened in, uh, in, uh, in uh, 87, before, before Operation Malang. You know? uh, that's in the, the official uh, white paper. You know, very blatant threats of, of May 13. On the show with me today is Dr. Kwa Kya Sung, human rights activist, former Swaram director. We continue our conversation after the break. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Dr. Kwa Kya Sung, human rights activist, former Swaram director. He was also a former DAP MP. And we are reflecting on Malaysia's past, present and future in light of Merdeka this Thursday. So, Dr. Kwa, you know, um, an, I think another significant thing, right? Um, before the May uh, 13, 1969 riots uh, and in after independence is 1963 because that is when Sabah and Sarawak uh, and Malaya formed the Federation of Malaysia. How significant is that in contributing to how we understand what it means to be Malaysian today? 
actually when it when it happened it was uh, quite a, a very false kind of sense of of, of uh, unity at the time because we had I, I'm from Batubat uh, in Johor and uh, to us uh, Singapore was was a closer city uh, than even Kuala Lumpur my relatives are all in Singapore and so uh, and, and Singapore had always been part of Malaya you know uh, during all that colonial history uh, it was Malaya was also the hinterland for Singapore and so uh, we, there was more there was more feelings for for Singapore than for Sabah and Sarawak. I mean, anything, like, I don't see any kind of links that we had between Sabah and Sarawak, other than the fact that they were they were colonies of of Britain. So when it started, we didn't really feel very strong. I didn't feel very strongly. I was already uh, a teenager uh, about about Sabah and Sarawak. Uh, and then as as years went by, of course, we we had we, we de- developed uh, a fondness for for our Sarawakian and Sabahan. Uh, uh, you know, cousins, and uh, up to now, we 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 have developed that kind of uh, a fondness for each other, and and to accept that as a as a, and I don't think the Singaporeans have gone way ahead of us. I don't think they want to be part of, of Malaysia <laughs> at the time, and so that's, that's the problem we face in this country when when it comes to Britain, Madaka, etc. But I'm telling you that, that at that time, we had greater closeness to Singapore than with Sabah and Sarawak. Right. You, you talk about how over time we have developed a fondness for our cousins from Sarawak and Sabah. Um, I don't know how much that fondness necessarily translates at the political elite level or when it comes to political conversations at large. Because um, one of the criticisms um, that East Malaysians often uh, um, rightfully, I think, um, throw towards Putrajaya or just the general mainstream political discourse is that a lot of political battles, even when we talk about um, the big um, racial issues, so on and so forth, everything is seen through the prism of West Malaysia. Um, you know, and what that means. Even the idea of Bumiputra sometimes um, or, or, or tends to be framed that way. Um, Malays versus non-Malays, Malays versus Chinese. Even when we look at silly, um, what some people may consider perhaps some petty arguments about alcohol and whatnot, it is again seen from the lens of a peninsula perspective. How do you view all of this? That Sabah and Sarawak regularly gets forgotten in important uh, political conversations. Yeah, I think I think the, the most shocking uh, uh, thing we've done to Sabah and Sarawak, East Malaysia, is the fact that uh, they they have not benefited as they should have. You know, through all those years of uh, oil oil uh, money that we have that we've had, you know, they should have they should have they should have uh, been entitled to a huge portion of the, the oil royalties. Uh, or at least have some kind of uh, uh, sovereignty over their 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 oil fields around Sabah and Sarawak, you know, and so so that we could at least feel proud today that they have grown richer, you know, and 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 that. Would, but up to today, and we, that's why when you ask me what is right and what is wrong, or what has happened since Madeka, I feel I feel that there's, there's shockingly many things that are wrong in the fact that uh, Sabah and Sarawak should be much better off than they are today. The indigenous people, for example, I've been over there with with the with the Bakun uh, campaign to look for myself what the the life is like for the indigenous people in Sabah and Sarawak, and it's shocking, you know. And so, uh, all these years, they deserve more than what they have gone, you know. When you ask me about Merdeka, nineteen fifty seven, in nineteen fifty seven, there were many things that were not 
known at the time, the, like the concept of Bumiputraism, Bumiputras. There's no such thing in 1957 when we were there, when we were kids, you know. And so uh, there are other things uh, that happened in 1957 that exist today that didn't exist then, you know, such as uh, we had elected local government in 1957 that right. we don't have now. When we had, uh, at the time, uh, a GDP uh, per capita GPT of something like 800 US dollars, we could afford elected local government. But today our home minister says, no, we can't afford it. <laughs> when our, our, our per capita GDP is something like nearly 15,000, right. know, we can't afford it. Things like that. And at independence, for example, the Chinese secondary independent schools, not independent at the time, Chinese secondary schools had an, an exam that was run by the education ministry. Did you know that? Between 1957 and 1961, that the government could do but today says, how do you expect us to do that? <laughs> you know, we had, we had one of the best English uh, uh, teachers and, and a, a whole curriculum, etc. when we were in school. And now, where does all that res- all those resources could have been used, you know, the, the retired teachers, etc. but we don't use them, etc. We could go on forever. Now, you know, we've done a lot of wrong, like you said, since independence. And I think a lot of that has contributed to um, the polarization that we are experiencing right now because I think we are more polarized as a nation now than we have ever been, at least electorally, um, across ethnic and religious lines. Um, the results of GE15 and the subsequent um, PRN tells us this much. What would you say has really contributed to this polarization? We must bear in mind that at independence at, at 1957, we had a we had we had a, a constitution that was that had the basic fundamental liberties in part two, and those fundamental liberties actually are quite a quite a basic kind of international human rights uh, art, articles are in there, you know, like equality. <laughs> it's a very big a very big thing, equality, you know, right. and. Uh, and even the ISA that were detention without trial is not there. It's only after uh, the the amendments of the constitution that we had detention detention without trial. This question of polarization has to be addressed because for years uh, in this country they've always tried to pin that polarization on all kinds of red herrings. You know, they say it's the vernacular school that's the cause of polarization. It's this, that, and 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 the other. When the root cause of polarization, which is one of the, one of the main allegations of fact for my arrest and detention in Operation Walang was the fact that I had edited a book called The Root Causes of Racial Polarization in This Country. And, and everybody else, all Malaysians all know that the root cause of racial polarization is the inequalities, the racism and racial discrimination in this country that is the cause of polarization. It's not, it's not the Chinese schools or the Tamil schools because the Chinese schools are accepting more and more, more and more Malays are going to Chinese schools. They pick up something like one tenth or one eighth of the the population in the Chinese schools now, so that is clearly uh, just pulling wool over people's eyes. Okay, right. and that is one part of the main root cause of polarization. And let's talk about uh, let's talk about the workers' movement. The workers' movement and independence, and the left wing movement and independence was very strong. And of course, before we we talk about polarization, is the fact that detention without trial was used against the left. You know, and workers, workers, leaders, etc. We just look at the, the book by Stanson, you will see it, M. R. Stanson, uh, how the how the colonial government, and then later on the 
the post-colonial government, the, the, Malayan, the Malaysian government, dealt with the uh, 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 workers' movement and uh, the left-wing movement. Uh, just imagine before the 1969 elect, general election, the whole, almost the whole of the Labour Party uh, leaders were all thrown in in jail under the ISA. How can you fight a, a general election like that, you know? And that is when the more opportunistic uh, leader, parties like the DAP took over from there. But detention work trial was one of the ways. The, the colonial government uh, dealt with the, the left-wing movement in this country, the independence movement in this country. It used, it used bla very blatant uh, racial methods, you know, and the, the elite in this country were, were, were hand in glove with the, 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 the British colonial power as well, you know, by, by uh, uh, talking about the, the left as, as, you know, communists and uh, atheistic and this kind of stuff, you know. To, to, I remember when I was a kid, getting these comics dropped from the sky from helicopters, you know, uh, against, against the, 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 the anti-colonial movement. How, so, that kind of so what would you say is the impact of the defeat of the left? Um, you look at, let's say, the fall of Putra AMCJA, um, the, the eventual fall of Barisan Socialists, so on and so forth. Um, and, and now when we look at it, 2023, of course, we still have um, left-wing groups, um, um, unabashedly socialist groups like PSM, for example, um, but they're not gain making um, uh, very uh, meaningful traction at the ballot box. Great work on the ground, not meaningful traction at the ballot box. I'm wondering, what is the impact of the, the weakness of the left right now and over the past 40 years? Um, what is the impact towards the, the social fabric of this country? At, at the, the defeat of the left has a lot to do, like I said, with detention about trial. Uh, but at the same time, the, the workers' movement was also defeated right. later on. Because if you look at the look at the level of unionization today compared to even the 80s and the 90s, 80s especially, you know, the rate of unionization was still quite high. Today is less than 10, 10% of the workers are unionized. And in fact, what is even worse is that a lot of workers are not informal, are right. not registered as formal workers in this country. So how do you unionize that? You know, uh, gig workers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that kind of movement has has kind of been broken up by the by the by the state. Today, uh, uh, we have this phenomenon of of the the so called green wave uh, that the the PN is supposed to be be uh, uh, helping to wave, you know. Uh, but actually, it's it's a it's a populism. It's a populism which was the ideology, a racial as well as a religious populism of the of the state since May 13, since 1971. I've tried to analyze that in my book called Racism and Racial Discrimination in Malaysia. You know, you brought up how socioeconomic inequality, um, the lack of equity, is often a source of tension. Um, I'm wondering if we had stronger class consciousness, stronger labor movements, um, where people united with one another across religious and races um, and, and they are uniting under a different framework of thinking, which is class solidarity. I'm wondering if we had class solidarity, would we be 
as polarized across racial and religious lines as we are today? That is almost like an ideal, an ideal situation. Right. We know it does. No, we don't have to, you know, ideally we would. Uh, but in reality, it doesn't because the, uh, the, the workers, etc., are still uh, open to that kind of uh, uh, ideology of the, of the state. For example, it's like saying, why don't the Protestant workers in, in Northern Ireland uh, join the, the, the Republican movement? They just won't because they've been given all kinds of uh, goodies, you know, uh, you know, in housing, in scholarships, in this and that. So ideally, or certainly would, you know. But I think one needs to, and this is what the, the, uh, my, my, my PhD thesis and my uh, was, was on the interconnect, interconnectivity of uh, race and class. And that, that is very important. We can't, we, can't, uh, we can't discount that with uh, very simple slogans. You know, for, for example, uh, in, in the West, some of the left, the left movement like to say, black and white unite and fight. You know, it's, it's easier said than done. You know, when the workers... Of of of, uh, of the other side is being wooed by the state, you know, with all kinds of goodies. You know, it, it's not it's not easy. So, what do you think we should do when it comes to this? Right, because we are an ethnically and uh, ethnically polarized um, nation. Um, we are seeing the rise of right wing populism, ethno religious populism. A lot of times when we when we talk about unity. It is very surface level. It is very, um, you know, I think the, the very popular word is tolerancy, right? It's just okay, just tolerate each other, that, that sort of thing. How do we go from that to becoming one people? And by one people, I don't mean, oh, it's just, everybody's the same. No, like cult- individual cultures and all still preserved, but a proper united nation beyond just tolerancy. I think it's important uh, on Merdeka Day to remember to remember what we had at Merdeka in 1957. To remember the federal constitution and the fundamental liberties we had. You know, something basic like equality. It is in the Malaysian constitution. Everybody is equal. People think that I say that I'm idealistic, etc. But I believe very strongly. I mean, what was look at look at all over the world. Which which country in the world has got parties that are based on race, you know? And so, let's go back to Merdeka. Let's go back to the original uh, federal constitution, equality. And I've always said that we need an equality act in this country. An equality act. We already have a, a human rights commission, right? A Suhakam. We need an equality act, and which which will be part of an equality and human rights commission. And that equality act. Why is the why is uh, the government so afraid of this. The the BN government was afraid of this. Pakatan Harapan would not have it, and PN of course won't have it as well. But ICER International Convention on the Eradication of Racial Discrimination, that is a basic international convention that m- most countries in the world have subscribed to. Why is our why is our country that behind that backward that we can't accept it? Why is it seen, somebody like me saying it now, why does it seem so foreign you know, when it is an accepted fact all over the world? And that is what we should, we should think about at independence. We should think about what we had at independence, what elected local government at independence. We had mother tongue education at independence. Before we wrap this conversation up, just a couple more questions to you. You have 
been in politics, human rights, activism, pushing for a more just and equitable society for many years now. You've seen it all, um, including May 13, 1969. It's 2023 now. You look at the state of Malaysia, the good and the bad, the country that you clearly love very much. What does it mean to you to be a Malaysian in 2023? What does that mean, Malaysian? When you're born in this country like I was, uh, and you grew up in this country like I was as a child and went to school in this country as a teenager, etc. And uh, it's like, you know, Tanai, this is this is your land, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and and you, you can't get away from it. It's, and when I like when I first went to like I, I wrote my article which at the start of the internet, which went viral, called the Patriot Game. And I said this uh one of the first tests of my patriotism was when I, although I was completely uh, uh, fed up with this country after May 13th, when I went to Britain and some British person in a pub or in the street asked me where I'm from. And I said, Malaysia. And they said, oh, I bet you won't go back there then. <laughs> Meaning you come to a developed, wonderful country. You won't go back to your backward uh and the first thing that came to my mind, the first intuitive thing that came to my mind was to say, of course not. I'm going back to my country when I finish my studies in this country. Why, why do I want to stay here? You know? and, and that is what I, I the, the integrity I, 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 I paid to myself. And that is, to me, that is the, the patriotism that, uh, like, like my father, for example, my father was born in China. No, he was born here, but he lived for his childhood in China. And I went back, when I went back to our, our home, our home uh, village in China, he was talking to his to our relatives there as you, your country, you know. And I felt that this was his patriotic uh, Malaysian statement, right. you know. And that, that is what it means to be to be Malaysian when you have you have made Malaysia your, your country because you were you we lived your life here, you're born here, you know. And and that is what uh, that that feeling all over the world. You know, everybody who is patriotic uh, feels about the country. Well, on that note, Dr. Kwa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. Thank you, uh, Dashwan. That was Dr. Kwa Kiasung human rights activist. He's also the former Swaram director and a former DAP MP. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, Spotify, Apple, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.